Today's episode is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. The Master of Arts Spiritual Formation Concentration at Ozark is for those who want to learn how to lead people to healing and wholeness in Jesus. The purpose of the Spiritual Formation Concentration is to dive deep into God's Word and partner with the Spirit to experience the internal change that will lead to the external change of the world. So what are the next steps? Learn more and apply for free at occ.edu masters. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers podcast. This is your host, Dave Stovall, and I'm so glad that you clicked on this episode today. This audio was pulled from a track session given by Radical Mentoring at last year's forum. Radical Mentoring is in the business of helping men and women to grow spiritually by using a mentoring process that equips men to develop authentic relationships and overcome the issues holding them back from living life to the full, and also by creating a safe and welcoming environment where women can foster authentic relationships with each other and with Jesus. This mentality really lines up with my heart and my passion and is one of the main reasons why discipleship was so attractive to me in the first place. So I hope that you will enjoy these episodes by Radical Mentoring and also that it will help you along your way of becoming a disciple maker. All right, everybody, let's dive in. This is Radical Mentoring. Here we go. Morning, everybody. Morning. Ooh, I got the morning crowd. I like it. 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 I'm a morning person, so I appreciate when people are lively and zesty first thing in the morning. Thank you for Thank y'all so much for joining us this morning. Really, really appreciate it. Good morning. Good morning. Um, really grateful again that you would spend your time and your time is valuable and that you would honor us with Come and join us and sit with us this morning. Really appreciate it. Um, so, to show that you know that you're in the right spot, I feel like a college professor. This is a breakout in the power of story. Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> this isn't Spanish 101. Um, Whoops. <laughs> right. Mad dash out the back door. Uh, real quick, quick intros one more time. I'm Trey. That's it. It's your slide. Go. That's not That's me. My slide. Um, and my name is Cam. We are from Radical Mentoring. Uh, our mission is to give people a complete pathway to empower the next generation to be, be to become to have thriving relationships with God and with others. Right. So this is where the power of story really, 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 really becomes important to our mission. Is the thing that ties us more than anything is story. The thing that ties us together closer than anything is story. And people who have a common narrative usually have deeper, thriving relationships. And the very thing that separates people more than anything is when they believe that they have a, um, a competing narrative from the other person, right? I think we see that a lot. Um, if you've been in here for the past two days with us, we've used the political climate as, a, as an example because it's the most relevant to everybody in the room. If you look at the right and the left stereotypically, they think they have competing narratives. They have competing narratives. And the goal there is to make sure that my narrative is the one that lasts and stands forever, 
right? And the more, the stronger those competing narratives, the more tension that you're going to feel. Um, personally, I experienced this the most, um, obviously, in the deepest and dearest relationship I have, which is my marriage. Is ever anytime that we're miscommunicating and we think that we're talking about the the a different narrative or a different story inside our marriage is the most tension because a lot of times it breeds loneliness, it breeds trauma, it breeds insecurity. Um, and when we find out it's like, oh, we're actually talking about the same thing, right? Anyone been there before? It's like, you're just speaking a different language than I am, but we're talking about the same thing. Um, I say all that to say is that the power of story can be an incredibly divisive thing we experience that in uh, media, misinformation, disinformation, things like that, and lying. That's why lying is so powerful um, and how it can be so destructive. Think about Genesis 3. Small little lie. Different narrative than what God told Eve and Adam sent them on a trajectory that was destructive for the whole world, right? Um, but stories can also be incredibly healing, i.e. the gospel, Right? Um, Trey, you got anything on that? No, I, I'd say, I, I mean, I'm with you. I think it's the foundation of everything that we do, uh, you know, and, and we'll get into the, we'll get into the nuts and bolts a little bit later. But when we look at the process, every time, every time you meet what you're sharing and what the mentees are sharing is going to be your story. And so it, it, when we look at the secret sauce of what we think mentoring is, I, I think that's kind of the foundation of where yeah. we start is with, e with every meeting, with every time you get together, People are wanting. People are wanting your story, and so whether that is, I mean, I think the same thing from my, from my parents or mentors in my life. What I want is their life experience and their story. So, yeah, you were, we were at dinner last night, and um, you kind of said this as a joke, but you were saying this in passing about with your dad, how you know your dad will tell you a story now, and you'll look at him like. Yeah, I could have used that information probably about five years ago. Where was that? Yep, yep. <laughs> Don't hoard that. It's like driving down the road and someone tells you, oh, by the way, that was your right. Like, why didn't you tell me that a mile ago? <laughs> I would have gotten in the right lane. Um, so we would break this down. into, And this is probably going to be one of them. We're leaning into the more practical of what we do. Tomorrow or later today, Trey's going to be talking about literally the method, like how does this work? So we're going into the more practical thing. So this one's going to be a little bit quicker and we're going to have a lot more time, a lot more room for Q&A at the bottom, at the bottom of our time. But you can split this into four easy sections. Our story, his story, his invitation, and our role. Our story, his story, his invitation, and our role. It's that simple, but also if the wires are crossed in in each in any of those, it can be actually it can create a lot of dysfunction in the mentors, in the mentees, in groups, and just the the trajectory of where you guys are gonna go as you're making disciples and walking with people, right? So let's go to just the 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 one that we probably spend on our phone calls talking to people the most time with which is our story. And Trey, I'm going to let you take the first swing at, at this yeah. part because I think you just have a lot of good stuff about the importance of story, the importance of our story, and how it's, it's just detrimental in the Yeah, and I, I think process. when you look at the, at the – when we look at our mentoring process, and really I think just the mentoring process, I, usually when we look at how our groups function and how it works – 
the mentor is always going to set the tone. And so in, in the process that we lay out, our recommendation is that the mentor tells his story first, because uh, that's really going to set the watermark and set the tone. And so when we look and say, if we ever do wrap ups, or if, we, if I get a call from the mentor, my things are just not going well. It's usually one of two things, either uh, the the chosen wrong mentor, that's not necessarily the case, or you have a mentor who's holding back. And so mm. uh, it really, it, when you get to what we kind of call our story retreat uh, that follows after the mentor has shared his story, uh, you're going to get one of two things. Uh, and we always say with your story, like the men, the mentees, they don't need the Sunday school version, okay? But they also don't need the Saturday night version. <laughs> they, they need the version of, hey, here is, here's my story, and you will not believe how God was leading me this whole time. And you will also not believe, here is my constant struggle, here's why I struggle now. Because that's what is impactful for me is Reggie, who was our founder, when you're on the road with him, he's like, yeah, I said this to my wife this morning. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm not the only one. That's good. That's good to hear. So, but it truly does, uh, it, it, it truly does set the tone. And what makes these groups and what we think makes mentoring unique is when guys feel known and needed. And so I think what we'll hit in this first one is is known. And there's so many men, so many women who are walking around and, and truly unknown. And so the ability to share your story, the ability to be heard by others, there is a there's a miraculous thing that happens, we think, in these retreats, we think in these meetings. So we would say, hey, your story is going to come early. So you, you as the as the mentor would share your story for first, the mentee share their story, but really story is every single meeting. And so as, as you're struggling, as you're doing one-on-ones, as you're meeting monthly, it, it's a constant thing of being able to share your story. So, Because in our, in our minds, it takes pressure off of the mentor to say, because we always say, you're, you're not going to be a business coach. You're not going to solve their problems because what mentees really want is your story. Mm. And so being able to share your story and let them hear, because again, they're going to make their own decisions. But if you can... I'll say constantly the remark I make, and I'll, I'll use this in the next session, but I'll say it here. I, I think the biggest mentor's job is to say, oh, that's interesting. That's happening to you. It happened to me. Here's what I did. Here's how it fell apart, or here's how it worked. <laughs> so go and choose wisely. Because your mentor, the, the mentees are going to make their own choices, but it's important for them to hear. And, and we've seen the, the great part of that and we've seen the the hard part of that and it's sometimes it's as the mentor you're like well they're walking into a train wreck but i'm, I'm you know it is what walking it is i share my story so yeah i love that i love that um anyone anyone here follow the church calendar like really follow the church calendar what season's starting to come up baby advent season so i've only been walking with the lord for will be a decade next summer which it's just freaking ridiculous to me to even think about that. It's been a decade. I still feel like I don't even know what I'm doing. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like, anyone else? Like, just, wow. What? <laughs> um, so, for I was selling trailers. We were, we were going, I had to get something from the grocery store, and I was, saying, I was telling them, it was like, you know, I didn't grow up with Christmas stories. I didn't grow up watching Christmas movies. I didn't grow up going to, like, I, I think we went to church a couple of times during Christmas, but 
for me, like Christmas is my favorite season of the year. Absolutely. And then a couple of years ago, I discovered Advent, which just took it to the moon. I was like, this is incredible, you know? Um, and the thing that we celebrate during Advent season is the incarnation, right? When we start telling our stories, the honest stories is we incarnate well into the lives of our mentees. Because a lot of times we have this assumption and we see someone who's a pastor or a disciple maker or whatever, they're up on a pedestal, right? They're up there. It's like, I don't even know, like, how. That's why I was, like, walking into a train wreck, right? But whenever we tell our stories, not, again, we're not glorifying sin here, but we're the honesty of where we're at, how Jesus is sanctifying me, what is he teaching me, where are my marriages, where my friendships are, where's my money at? You're incarnating and you're coming down like Jesus did, and you're stepping into their life, and you're helping them navigate that. So your story is the vehicle that ministry happens through. And if you withhold your story, you're really hindering your ability to do, to do life with people. Because, you know, what my wife doesn't want is just for me just to tell her the logistics. What she wants is me to do life with her and to love her and be with her. Our mentees or disciples, they want the same thing. They just don't want information. They want transformation and transformation happens through story. And, and part of that is our story, but the goal of our story isn't just to just tell them our story and then stop there. Right. Then we're just two people hanging out. The goal of sharing our story is to help the people that we're mentoring, discipling, whichever word you want to use there. We use that word interchangeably at radical mentoring, but, um, is to help them understand that their story is part of a greater story. So when we tell our story, we're incarnating into their lives to tell them how Jesus incarnated into our lives and we help them take what, <laughs> any Matt Chandler friends in here? I love Matt, Matt, I call him Uncle Matt, even though I have, don't even know who he is, but we're related in the faith, so I call him <laughs> Uncle Matt. Um, he says this with all the kindness in his heart. He's like, get over yourself. He says it with all the kindness and mercy that he can. If you try and save your life, you'll lose it. If you give your life away, you'll gain it. He's like, get over, lift your eyes up. Lift your eyes up off of yourself. This is the part that is so hard, but is so powerful when guys and women start to get this, is that it's not about you. It's not about you. Your story is part of a greater narrative that's happening. And I, so I'm expecting my first child in April. Hey, you're the first people to be like, oh, everyone else has been like, keep talking. I don't care about that. Um, uh, I had someone that we sidebar, someone that we work with. Um, he's like, you need to tell everybody. Just start telling people to go to your store. Oh, by the way, I'm about to be a dad. Um, but my wife and I were talking about it. And I was like, it's funny. When I found out that I was going to be a dad, there were so many things in life that just did not matter anymore. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't know. Don't care. Like there are things that are so much more valuable than, you know, whatever. I can't, if a perfect example. I can't even come up with an example. This is, this is the, this is what we mean by his story. So when there's a story that's better than the one that you're living, there's a certain things that just don't matter anymore. That uh, Tony Evans says, when we submit under him, he handles everything that's under us. 
Um, so that, that's the power of telling our story, how Jesus incarnated it into our story so that we can help them lift up out of their own, see it from his vantage point and how he's handling it, how he's loving them, how he's guiding them, how he's working through the mess. That's, that's, the, that's the power of our story meeting someone else's story and his story meeting our story as, as a group. Trey? No, I love that. Uh, you know, what's what's really fascinating as we see that happen, uh, one of the things we encourage early on are, are for the mentees to get together and share their stories. And there's there's a special bond, there's a special anointing that happens in those. Ooh. And you you know, you hear Ooh, that's what we're doing. Yeah. Anointing, okay. All right, Trey. And you know the funny thing is I have the text messages, the emails from mentors been like, I've never experienced anything like that. And there is something unique about a group of mentees getting together and then all of a sudden realizing they're not alone. And uh, to to me, that's one of the biggest parts of them being able to see a picture of something bigger uh, Mm -hmm. is it takes from, man, I've been battling with this, that man, we're we're just the same. We're, we're just the same. And so uh, kind of the wholeness of that group. And so what we, what we see is just the intensity of that group, the first 30 to 60 days where those, where those stories are being shared really cements that group together and that's that that's what kind of gives the gives the momentum for these groups early on it's just that story yeah i was reading as you said that i got an email from a pastor yesterday saying thank you so much for working with us the spirit is moving keyword through these relationships and our guys are looking more like jesus i mean just like the spirit works in relationship he works through us being together and sharing life, iron sharpens iron, a strain of three chords, go two by two. It's like, this is not a solo sport. There's no solo Christians in this thing, right? We're, we're grafted into the vine, right? Which is part of a greater story of, I mean, the Bible is a great narrative, right? And so story is all over scripture. And, and, and so we've grafted each other in that story We've seen our, our stories are shared and we're united. The gospel story unites us to a greater narrative. And then <clears throat> the next part is of that story is the invitation of Jesus to take part in what he's doing. So the invitation of Jesus to take part in what he's doing. I said this yesterday, but one of my favorite descriptions, the favorite images of discipleship is in John. I believe it's in John. I could be completely wrong. Um, when John the Baptist is walking with his disciples and Jesus is walking with um, the first couple of disciples that he has and John sees them from far off and he, point, and he points, I think he's with James, James and John, and he points and he's like, go. He's the one that you need to follow. He's the one inviting you into something greater, right? That is <clears throat> one of my favorite things about discipleship is that ultimately Jesus is the one inviting us into something that's truly what we're made for. You know, the catechism say that the chief purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. He's inviting us into joy. He's inviting us into glory. He's inviting us to the wedding feast. He's inviting us into all of these great promises. And that is the invitation that is on the table in disciple in mentor relationships and disciple relationships, you're being invited into something greater than your nine to five. Because if it's just a nine to five, then you're just what are we doing? 
make money, save it, spend it on some things, do it all over again. But if he's inviting me into, you know, you're a minister where you work to the people around you to love them and to serve them for my glory, because that is what I am doing, right? You're not, inv- you're not invited into chores, right? God does not need us. He's self-sufficient. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He can do this in his sleep, right? But he's inviting us into what our father is already doing. And I get to go to work with that every day. That is the invitation. Go to work with that every day. And it's like, what? Guess what? Now my job matters even more than I thought it did. Me being a good husband matters. Me being a good father matters. When we are invited to a greater story where the the consequences, right? Um, uh, Jim talked about that yesterday. The, the consequences of not making disciples, but now we're invited into that. Then, then what we see from our men is this buy-in. It's just like, Oh, these are the stakes. This is what I'm doing for my women. This is what's available. This is what I get to be as a mom. It's like I'm working with God and nurturing my children, nurturing my neighbors, nurturing my husband, running my business. Like, this is what I get to do. It instantly, when you invite them into the invitation of Jesus, they are there's a buy-in and there's this value that they experience in life that, that's pretty, pretty significant. You got nothing? I got nothing. All right. All right. All right. So, like I said, this one, it goes, it's going by a lot faster because it's, we're getting more into the practical. um, So, this is also, after the story piece, this is the one that has the most pushback because there's a lot of, I would say, like, insecurity when it comes to the our role. So, go ahead and speak to that real quick, Trey. Yeah, the, you know, usually the first question we get and usually the pushback from mentors is, uh, you know, hey, what am I going to do? What does this process look like? And so that's where our goal is to always be able to say, kind of put you at ease and say, hey, what what mentees are really looking for is just you. And so uh, what what we look for, what we want to provide for a mentor is just, it's just a framework. Uh, it, it's not a curriculum. It, it's not a... It's not a program that truly is just a framework to say, hey, we want to give you some guidelines and we want to give you a starting point to where you can take your mentees. And so, <laughs> you know, when we, when we look at this, uh, it truly is one of those things that most mentors are like, oh, it's just breathe a sigh of relief. So all I need to do is just share my story. And that really is it. And so, uh, it, and, but usually the question always comes back to, well, man, I, you know, I, I've really put myself out there. And in fact, we've had some, and this one, this just is what it is. We've had many pastors look at us. We're like, you realize I'm handing these guys like a loaded gun? Like, uh, if I if I share this? And we're like, yeah, we, we get that. And we know the limitations. We know what we're asking of you. Uh, but one of the things that uh, was just something that I, I will always remember. So we've got a pastor down in the Charleston area and uh, Reggie Campbell challenged him. He's like, I promise you, share your story, share your story. And it actually had to happen the opposite. They went to the story retreat. Uh, he had shared his story before. They went to the story retreat and his mentee <laughs> shared their story. And he was just awestruck. He was like, I, I cannot believe what I'm hearing. And so uh, he eventually said, guys, before we leave, I've got to, I've got to redo it. He's like, I can't believe the authenticity you guys went in with. And I, I've got to share my story. And 
he texts Reggie on the way back and he said, I feel like for the first time in my life, I'm doing ministry. He's like, I've I've never shared what I shared today. And so it is one of those things that, um, you know, we we don't take that lightly. We understand what, what can come with that. But being able for to hear in these in these settings, the typical things you're going to hear is, I've never told anybody this. Uh, I, I've never shared this. Lots of that. Lots of that. And, Lots of that. and that is so freeing. And I remember the first time I shared, uh, it was just like a weight was lifted off. It just been like, man, not only was it important for me, but I had no idea that the guy who I was sitting across the table from was bowing the exact same thing. And so... Being able to share that, I began to realize, man, what, what, what a gift. What a gift to be able to share with people who, uh, who are kind of facing the same thing. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, this is kind of a joke. At the same time, it's not a joke. I am also poking fun at myself. I, no theologians needed. Your role as a disciple maker and as a mentor is not to be a theologian. Now, in your personal worship and how you're gifted and wired, you love to study the scriptures and you love to dig in, piece it apart. Language is your thing. That's awesome. I'm that guy. I like doing that stuff. That helps my own formation, my own spiritual worship with the Lord. But unless you're talking to another guy like that, your responsibility as a mentor, leading a group, discipling men, what they a lot of times they don't want a theologian. A lot of times they don't want a theologian. They don't want someone to, to, or to tell them proper orthodoxy as if that's going to fix all of their problems. Because if, because if they could, if, that was, if it was that easy, right, they could do it. Right? We don't want to be Job's friends. Me and my, one of my best friends and I read Job together. And we would text each other. Like, <laughs> We were texting each other while we were reading. He's like, yo, Job's friends suck. (laughs) They are terrible. But it was teaching me of just like, damn, slow slow to speak, quick to listen. Slow to speak, quick to listen. Like, listen to what's happening. He, because if I just come out with them in theology, I'm demeaning him. I'm demeaning, like, that I'm the one who has all of this information. It's my job to make sure that you know it. Like they can read a book, they can listen to a podcast. Be real with yourself. You read a book and you listen to a podcast. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, what I tell churches leaders who are on the phone talking about, I want to do this. There's three things that that a mentor is facilitating: faith, without faith, you can't please God. Fruit. I heard someone say recently. Someone asked the question. What's the difference between following God and following your dreams? It's an incredible question. It pinned me to the wall. And she said, first thing I think about is, am I bearing fruit? God's goal is to form us in the image of Jesus. Are your people bearing fruit? Are they looking like Jesus? And are you giving them hope for something different? Because they're living their life. And right now, there's in, a, in some of these dark spaces, they don't really have hope that things will ever change. And when you... Like Taylor saying, when you share that story and they see a like a glimpse of difference, maybe not victory where everything is perfect, but a glimpse of difference, you give them hope for a little bit of reprieve. And that that for the consistency of trying to follow Jesus till glory means a whole lot. I think we have to get over in our American victory theology as believers that the only form of deliverance is total deliverance 
right? Because some people, they'll have a thorn in the flesh until they see Jesus. But the hope of I will see Jesus and seeing that clearly and one day this will be gone, maybe that is what they need. It's like, I might struggle with anger until the day I die. I might struggle with X until the day I die. I'm not, I'm not being permissive in sin, but there's, there's certain things that I just truly believe. I mean, Paul, he wasn't that clear what his thorn was, but God did not remove it. And we have to do something with that. There are certain things that we will struggle with and God is choosing not to remove it. But what he has given me in, in that is someone to help and sustain me until the very end, whether that be a relationship, whether that be the spirit himself, the word of God, things like that. So as a mentor, we're, 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 we're creating an environment where faith can be grown, faith, fruit can be grown, and hope can be given. And if we can do that, then we're doing our job. You don't need to be a theologian for that. You just need your story. You need his story. You need his invitation. And you just need to know I'm here to facilitate what God is doing, not create what God is doing. Because God's already doing that. I'm facilitating what God is doing, not create what God is doing. Okay? <clears throat> now what? Go and do it. You guys got it? Got everything you need? I'm just kidding. I'm, that's, that's a total joke. Um, now, what, what we say usually whenever we're on the phone is, Pray about it. Pray. On, think about, meditate on these things, right? Meditate on my story, my role, his story, his invitation. Think about what those things mean for you. Because if, we, if we're going there unaware, we'll, we'll, we'll step into some potholes that we don't need to step into, quite frankly. So I always tell, pray about it, prayfully consider, prayerfully meditate on these things. And then usually we have a follow-up conversation about what it looks like as far as um, mentoring and discipleship is concerned. But the strongest thing that you guys can do going forward is know your story. Know your story, the honest, authentic one. What are the things you're trying to hide? What are the things that you don't want people to know? Where's the pain points? Where's the hurt at? The biggest things that I and travel love, if you, I'm gonna put you on the spot, if you feel comfortable with what I'm following up, what I'm about to say, um, the things that I connect the most with people is mental health. Because I've struggled with anxiety and depression for years. So anytime I talk about that with somebody, they're always like, really? Um, I mean, with guys, stereotypically, it's anything having to do with lust and sexuality. It's usually always like, oh, go to break the ice with that one. Um, father issues. When I talk about issues I have with my dad um, and my marriage. Not saying that my marriage is terrible, but my marriage is not perfect. So whenever I talk about those four things in my story, usually guys are like, continue. I want to know more. <laughs> um, and those are the things in my story that I, I have to discipline myself and talking about more often because it's not fun. But at the same time, the amount of times, you know, people have opened up about, yeah, I struggle with anxiety and depression. And for years, people have tried to spiritualize it away and never given it value. And it's just like this moment of like, oh, so you're going to, you're going to do that. You're going to redeem one of the most painful parts of my story. Awesome. So do you like, do you feel comfortable sharing anything that you connect with? It doesn't have to be like the dirty details, but yeah. like. Yeah. And in fact, I, I mentioned that to, to you last night, one of the things I have a, a distinct memory of the wake you leave behind. And uh, there was an organization that I, I was leaving and, um, uh, 
man, I, I've always been kind of a hard charger task, man, go get it. So I would lock myself in the office all day and just hammer it. So I was leaving the organization, it could be about a hundred people or so. And so they're like, Hey, look, we want to have a goodbye lunch for you. And so forth. I'm like, okay, that'd be great. So anyway, show up to lunch and it's me and my, uh, me and my, my uh, two superiors. And I'm like, Oh wow, this is a, uh... and it was one of those awkward things. I remember, uh, I remember I actually went back to that organization a while back. And one of the things that he told me was like, Hey, you are the, one of the hardest working guys I've ever And he's like, you want to live anybody and he says people want to be a part of you and it was a shift for me to be able to say wow what a uh, what what for me it was a tragedy and something mm-hmm. i still look back on with embarrassment it was also one of those things i love to be able to look people in the eyes and who were all hard chargers and that that when, when when reggie was mentoring that was the thing for him he wanted to help people with the guys who were hard chargers focus on their careers and didn't look anywhere else. And mm. You begin to look around and my wife was back there. My mm. coworkers were back there. My family, I didn't talk with. Mm. So it was one of those things that it's just, if you can look a guy in the eyes 20 years before and just be like, Hey, I'm going to throw caution to you. In fact, it, it was a, it was a lady I worked with. She was about 20 years older than me. And she said, you're, you remind me of my husband. Mm. He had died of a heart attack a few years before. And she was like, I don't even know. Mm. So it, it took someone a little bit further down the road, and I didn't like it at the time. I was like, you know, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then you go have an assessment. Me. Yeah, and then you're like, oh my goodness, yeah, nobody shows up for my uh, for my goodbye much. And so it is one of those things that, man, I love to be able to caution guys who were all in. And, and we talked, me and him talked about this yesterday. And you know, there is a there's a cost to everything. Yep. And some people chase something uh, that they just can't grab. So we're convinced in our career, chase this, chase this, or, or do this while your kids are young, or do this while, uh, you know, during this time frame, it's the right thing to do. And you look back and, and, uh, and it's one of those things that will just slip out of your grasp. And that was, to me, that has been, as I look at my mentoring relationships, it has been amazing how God has placed some guys in my life. And I'm just like, man, I, I see it. Man, I see oh, where yeah. you're headed. And I, I ask you, just listen, listen to how I can, how I burn bridges, listen to how I have lost relationships and to be able to give, uh, I think that, that gift to your mentees, I feel like it's, it's just a treasure. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. And then some real practical things. If anything we've said struck you and you want to know more about mentoring, you can text mentoring to 55444. Here's our caveat to that. If you do not want to hear from us, I mean this 
because Trey and I are going to be the people who blow you up. Do not text that number. This is the anti-ad. That's right. This is the anti-ad. We're persistent. <laughs> We're very persistent. Yes. Um, Trey and the next track is going to go through like really, really the nuts and bolts of what this looks like on the ground in churches with lone mentors. If you have not gotten a free copy of yeah, Mentor Like Jesus. Raise your hand. I'm going to bring you a copy. He's going to give you a copy. Yeah. If you have not gotten a free copy. Okay. Uh, and that is it. Welcome. Thank you for coming to our TED Talk. The invitation require a response. I would say yes. And to two, to two, so the question was, does the invitation require a response? Um, yes, because on in two different parts, right? In two different parts of what, I, what I'm going to talk about. In the beginning, when you invite someone to be a mentor or a mentee, for the mentor or the disciple maker, again, we use those words interchangeable, your time is the most valuable asset that you have. Because the time you give to something, you're not giving it to something else. So when someone does not want to be a part of that time and they say no, that lets you know, great. Not, no hard feelings to me. That's fine. I'm going to use my time for people who actually want to be part of this, where I'm going. The second part of that is the invitation to pay it forward. I mean, yeah, you need to know. They, they need to know. They need to know where they want to go with their ministry. What do they want to do? What is we say to be activated in the home, in the workplace, or in or in or in making disciples? What do you want to do? <clears throat> so that invitation is is to say yes to something. God has this plan for you, a, a, a goal for you, something that He's working on that He wants you to work on with Him, and He's inviting you into that. Are you going to say yes to that? That's for everybody. Are you going to say yes? That's the invitation into the, the gospel family. That's an invitation into gospel ministry. That's an invitation into anything. It's like we, we say yes or no by our actions. We say yes or no by our actions, right? That's why James can so boldly say that faith that works is dead. It's like you say yes or no by what you do. Um, so I would say yes. That's my long-winded answer, saying yes. I can just tell y'all that um, people are hungry for this. Um, we call them uh, discipleship bands in our church, and we um, I'm director of adult ministry, and we had five in January. Now we have 25. Ooh, and look no, at God. Yeah, and there's no more than four people, and you go through, you know, how, 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 what's going on? How are you doing? What are you struggling with? Um, what are your joys? And then once you get comfortable, it's what are your secrets? Mm. What are your sins? Mm. And we meet weekly. And it's it's just I mean, people are hungry for this. So what again. Thank you so much for that. Really appreciate that. I had a thought too about telling your story. I know in one of the men's groups that we do, um, you know, you go through like wounds that a lot of men have had. And a lot of I know a lot of guys that I've seen and I'm one of them too, that you know, you think you hear these stories, these incredible stories of transformation. You think your wound is more of a scratch, that it's not worth Ooh. telling somebody about. But then you're surprised that more people are going through that. Wow. You don't, you don't think your wound is worth um, sharing with people. Mm. It's not, like I said, a dramatic thing of transformation. It's mm. something small. Like you said, some of their small shifts. Um, like you're not fully delivered, but mm. small changes. Um, so that's powerful. To talk about that. That's powerful. You think, <laughs> you think remember, it reminds me of the story of one time when... Um, I hit my head on, I don't know why I still had this, but like on like a door handle in our apartment and I was bleeding 
and of course, I think this is guys and girls. I'm fine. Yeah. My wife is freaking out because she's like, you're like, you have like a gash on your head. And it's like sometimes people have a better perspective of it than you do because they see the damage that it's like, but I'm fine. I'm good. It's like, no, <laughs> you're not okay. You have a goose egg on your head and you are bleeding on my floor. You're not fine. Some people have a better perspective too. We always like it to that Monty Python skin. Yeah, just a flesh wound. Your arms off. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. That's really good. Well, I, I would say one of the biggest impacts or story for me uh, was John Lynch's uh, sermon on two roads. <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard of it. Yeah. Uh, mask off. So I guess the question I have is I have, we met with a group of men and uh, you know I was one of the leaders and the first thing I did with these men was okay I have had to deal with pornography in my life which of course suddenly the men open up because you throw it out there but when you start mentoring do you hold back any of your story at first when you guys do it? Uh, we, we recommend no. Okay. No yeah and, and it's and it, it is uncomfortable uh, but it is, I think there's two things that can shape mentoring relationships in particular. And though I would say they're several, but I would narrow it down to even two. I would say number one, uh, sharing your story because uh, you, you will set the tone. And then number two, authentic prayer. You know, because I would say those are a couple of things that most men never mm -hmm. get to have the chance yep, to observe. And so if you can expose guys to your story, and them to be able to understand, hey, uh, you know, we, we get a lot of questions from churches about, you know, hey, how do I, how do I, how do I shut the back door? And something like this, we feel like is powerful because it helps guys be known and needed. And the ability to to be known to a group of guys like that and let them know, hey, this is this is this is what we're going to do here. Mm -hmm. And most mentees, uh, when they see a mentor. They look and they're like, "Man, this guy's successful. Mm -hmm. in the church. This is gonna be a, this is gonna be awesome for. I'm gonna rub elbows with some with some good people. Power broker. Yeah. Then all mm -hmm. of a sudden they hear the mentor share how they left their life in shambles over here and using the mentees, their jaws are on the floor. And yeah. so, or the or when the mentor drops to his knees and says an authentic prayer, and they've never seen that model. So yep. those are, those are the things for us that we're like, hey, take those things seriously because it will it will shape. It's amazing what that what that first kind of story yeah. can yeah. do. And the reason I ask is I've heard varied opinions on mm -hmm. yeah. what you yeah. should do, and I've been uh, walking with the Lord for forty years, mm -hmm. yeah, and I was never member. I never had yeah. because. Mm -hmm. Back in those days, mentoring was, you know, go to church, we'll hand you a book, a Bible, uh, go <laughs> home and read it. For there's, sure. There's your whole mentoring For uh, sure. Aspect, you and, uh, you and uh, God, that, there's your mentorship right there. And I really appreciate, uh, I've seen so much in our culture in the last 10 years where, you know, instead of sitting in a pew and watching the halo guy up front, halo who's guy. perfect, uh, they're being honest yeah. about yeah. their lives, and, sure. and I really appreciate that. So I appreciate this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm hearing a lot of just kind of like through the stories and through the rules and invitation uh, of empathy. Mm. Uh, what are some of the tools that you guys equip mentee mentors with to increase empathy, especially in men? It's not our gift. 
A hundred percent, my man. Uh, <laughs> if you if you have a special anointing of empathy, God bless you. <laughs> Seriously, that is a gift of the spirit. I have a buddy of mine who's like one of the most empathetic men I've ever met. I'm just like, I only want to tell you my problems. Um, so on the front end, we do a lot of mentor training, and and and, and the big thing that we the, the, that we talk about is uh, so repeat the question is uh, how do we train and equip for empathy. Um, in that, again, we go back to your facilitator. We, we harp on that so much because we're trying to fight against that knee-jerk reaction of being the fixer. Every guy on the planet, in some varying capacity, we feel competent in fixing things. It's what we're good at. For some reason, it's just, I do it. I know, I've not met a, a man who does not want to be a fixer. Has anyone in here ever? Nope, great. So, so my theory is right. Um, so we 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 harp on that. Is you're a facilitator. You listen to the spirit and you listen to your guys. Listen. We say listen, 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 listen over and over and over again. Um, that's the big thing. And then also we we vet a lot of that on the mentor selection process with with lead mentors who are trying to we tell always tell them to prayerfully consider the men. Uh, and make sure they've had a watchful eye on them in the church and not just the most, the power broker in the church. I don't care if he's the biggest giver in the church. I don't care. That does not mean that he'll be a great mentor. Like there's a church that we work with who one of the mentors was the facilities guy. But he, there, he has such a honor and a respect for the ministry that he did in the church that he was selected to be a mentor because he, he had proven that he loved the men in that church, that he was faithful to that church, and that his heart was not for his own betterment, but it was for the sake of the men in that church. So those are the two areas. We vet it in the beginning. If you just want to do it just so they put a little feather in your cap, don't choose that guy. And it's okay to say no, you know? Um, and in the training process, we equip them on how to facilitate a conversation and how to listen. So for example, if three of us are in a group and Trey is sharing something, he's talking about his kids. I would actually, instead of me responding, I would go, Jay, what did you hear Trey say there? And, hey, now I don't, nah, I'm not trying to say anything, but I wanted you to listen and see what he said. So if I struggle with empathy, maybe if I hear from you and it'll help me process it more. Things, so things like that. that that's one way that we go about doing it. So I have a question. So kind of going back to the gentleman's question before about um, like sharing your story. Mm -hmm. I'm a middle school leader um, at my church, and um, obviously you really can't share too much mm -hmm. with middle schoolers. Like, mm -hmm. I want to know, like, with that, what, like, with mentoring high school, middle school students, where does that all come in? Because some some people might have a very tough story to share with right. middle school, and mm -hmm. that could be really not good impact for Appropriate. them. So, yeah, like, where do for you sure. see that yeah. form? <laughs> you have high school. You have high school boys. <laughs> There's certain questions where we're like, you got it. No, I, I, I went. I'm again. I'm practicing not talking as much. Well, what's funny first. is what he just did is my favorite thing to do in mentoring groups. Is someone ask a question and my first response is, "Well, can't wait." That's always a great just pivot. So it also to answer your question, yes, it's like an option um, play. But I, yeah, I, I that's a that's a phenomenal question. Repeat and, the question, Trey. Uh, the question is mentoring to uh, to those in maybe a middle school, high school, 
uh, what to share, being careful about what to share. I, I think from my perspective, what I would probably share, um, and it's been interesting to do this with my two boys. I've got one who just started college, another one who's in uh, freshman in high school, and I tell different stories. And I try to tell my middle school stories or my high school stories. And uh, it's really interesting to watch. As so, like I've had more interesting conversations with my with my oldest who just started college, and now he's like, oh. <laughs> like hey, you're an adult. Like I, you know, these are conversations <laughs> I feel like we need to have. And, and, yeah, exactly. And so, uh, and then you get stories back, and you're like, oh, don't tell your mom that story. Keep that one. Take it easy. Take it easy. Yeah, your mom's like, I like that one. Um, but I, I think it is being able to relate to the things that they're they're facing, like mm-hmm. and like camp. Like I, 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 middle school was horrible for most of us, and I remember getting bullied in middle school. Everybody. And my middle my middle school went through the same thing. So to be able to share that story, so where I couldn't fix it for him, I mean technically I could have, but it's not going to. Uh, but at least he knew, hey, I, I, I'm not alone in this. And then I remember in eighth grade when he kind of worked his way through it, and it was. Uh, it was a monumental thing for him. And so I, I think being able to share what is applicable and being able mm-hmm. to share the story. So maybe not even the whole story, but maybe just share these stories that you feel like are the things that they're facing. Does that, does that? Yeah, no, that's what I was doing anyway. Yeah. I yeah. wanted to see if you had anything yeah. different or more tools. Yeah. Thoughts? I mean, you do time travel. I mean, yeah. it's usually what I do is I kind of go back and pull the Rolodex of, and I, and I, and I try and thinking about it from their perspective of what I felt the most at that age was just devalued. And just because a lot of times adults they look at their kids and they they judge their circumstances based on the circumstances they have right now. It's like you're not paying bills, you're not doing any of this. So like, yeah, we know hindsight it will pass, but they don't know, right? So Exactly. So again, it goes back to that in that incarnating space. It's like I'm going to incarnate into your story, and right now, this breakup, this show at home, this is the hardest thing that you're going through right now, and I'm going to give it the value that it deserves. Um, that's that's the biggest thing that um, I can tell anybody, especially with the first students. Is like you have to see them. You you time travel to where they're at, and you incarnate in that story, and you give it the value that it deserves because that's what they really want. And one of the things I'm happy to send you guys. So if you do that, and if you ask us for this, we have a document. I've been told by guys that this is one of the most helpful documents we have, and it is a document that helps you craft your story. So it goes a decade at a time, highs and lows, and it's one of the best tools I feel like we have for helping uh, people be able to craft their story. So if you're interested in that document, again, if you'll just if you'll do that number, and then when we reach out, if you'll say, hey, I, I would love to have that document, yeah. we're more than happy to send it to you. It's a great tool. Yeah. Anyone know, in here know who John Tyson is? He's a pastor out of New York. No one? Okay. He's an, he's an Australian guy out of New York, so if you hear him talk, it kind of puts a smile on your face because it's just like, <laughs> wow, this is really nice. Um, but he was talking about uh, family vision and values and story not too, on his podcast that I was listening to. And what he did was he audited each decade of his life. And he thought about it objectively. So it's kind of to the crafter story part. And he thought about the pain points and the highs. And he wrote down the things that came out of it. He said, oh, that was really hard. What did I learn? 
but what was great? And he kind of looked at it objectively. And then what he would do is he would say, I don't want to keep that. Not necessarily as in throw it away, it's not valuable, but I don't want to live with that anymore. So in crafting your story, if we could kind of audit our lives and kind of look through it, it's like, that's a lesson that was painful. Hold on to that. That's a story that you can share. And this is a victory. That's a story that you can share. So it's so that's one way of crafting your story of just kind of going through it piece by piece. Here's a and here's the lessons that I pulled out of it. That way, whenever someone asks you a question, you're able to kind of like pull that card out. It's like, oh, when I was 15, this happened. And here's the pain of it. And I can say that objectively. Here's the painful part. But here was the, the glory that God was doing in, in that part as well. So, yes, sir. No, come right here. Um, so I'm thinking back on my life. Some of the most broken people that I've known which just never open to mm. somebody coach them to be mentally in their life. And, I mean, even right now, I can think of people who are just resilient to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, what are some, what are some effective ways of just open people up, just being open to having influence? Isolation, we know, is where you feel all this focus mm-hmm. and where, you know, impound. So have you ever had, like, any stories just, like, people who were resilient and you were able to open them up to, you know, sit in a meeting and be judged? I think you're looking at two people who are that way. <laughs> Uh, I mean, do you want me to go first? You want to go first? Okay. (laughs) Um, The question is dealing with just, I say resilient people and not in a negative connotation, but to just sum up what dealing with resilient people. Um, I'm just, so I've been going to therapy for probably about four years now and not because I wanted to, um, my wife asked me to. And my wife is one of the most kind people that I know. Woo! Here we go. Um, I would say uh, kindness leads people to repentance. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Um, it is the presence of God that builds trust. And it's the consistency of God that affirms it. So I always say consistency, kindness, and patience. Um, yeah. Consistency, kindness, and patience. Again, people don't want to ever feel like they're a project. Um, So showing up and continuing to show up. People do not respond well to being hammered, right? A lot of times you only have one tool in our toolkit, which is, why won't you tell me? It's like, hey, I'm here for you whenever you need me. Just be kind about it. Kindness leads people to repentance. Then just being patient, allowing them to open up on their own terms. Um, And eventually, I mean, I'm a testament to that. I, I built, I was ostracized as a kid, bullied as a kid, born out of wedlock, um, struggled with, you know, heartache, alcohol, pornography. Literally, I had a whole laundry list of things I never really wanted to talk about. Um, but it was bleeding all over my marriage, all over my relationships. It just was not, I was, had anxiety and panic attacks. It just was not working. And my wife very kindly was just like, you need help. And it was right after I had a panic attack on a Sunday morning on my way to serve at church. And I wiped my eyes. I was like, I'm going to go do this anyway. And she was like, no, you're going to call Hung, who was my pastor at the time, and say, 
And then after I got off the phone, just wept all over the floor. It just, it took years of her being kind, patient, and consistent for me to finally open up and, and really seek the help that I needed. So that's what I would say with people who, because you can't force anybody to say anything. You know, it takes a lot of courage to say what you just said. I appreciate that. Yeah, it takes a lot of courage just to sit down with somebody initially. Yeah. Even, even just one time, let them know that it takes a lot of courage to do that. Um, and then tell them, you know, a lot of people who listen to this kind of one-on-one it gets to be very intimate. So thank you for sitting with me. Um, you trust me enough to sit down the first time. Yeah. So when, the one thing that I heard someone say, and I've been trying to say it a lot when people share things with me, is thank you for being generous with me. Thank you for sharing something that was valuable with me. And to honor, to bring honor to that story, bring honor to that pain, and bring honor to, to how much it costs them. As far as comfort, um, face, whatever that may be, it costs you something to say that. So thank you for being generous with me. It remind them of the confidence. And they remind them that, that, that stays here. That, that that I thought that was assumed, but thank you for bringing that up. Like that stays between you and I, um, and sometimes it bothers people because they're because it would be a group of friends that we all know each other, and it's like oh, how are how are such going? Oh, they're fine, they're great, and they won't know anything. It's but it's, it's between he, him, and him and myself. Um. So regarding, we talk, kind of covered what a mentor, what that kind of person yeah. looks like when selecting the mentees, kind of. I guess if they're not resilient, mm-hmm. they're well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the level of faith, whether they have not accepted Jesus as their savior, mm-hmm. whether they've been in, you know, as a um, saved person for years and years, does that kind of matter group to group? Do you put those, is it, I don't know. What do you, what have you seen be successful in that aspect? Question is, so when you're selecting mentees and where they are in their faith journey, how does that work? It's kind of what I'm hearing you say. Go ahead, Trey. I, I would say the only thing that we encourage in, in the groups is that uh, they all be saved. Uh, and our, the reason, the big reason we say that is because if one or two is not, then they just become the project. So it comes yeah. less about, hey, how do we grow? And more about, hey, let's let's fix this guy here. And so uh, now one of this guy's things, really messed up. So one of the fun things that I've seen, in fact, Joking. I had a good friend of mine who uh, graduated from New Orleans Seminary who was in a group at Athens Church with a guy who had just been saved for like a couple of weeks. It was really neat. It was fat, and he loved it. He would tell me stories. Oh about yeah, it. like, it's awesome. Oh, man, to be able to see from a fresh point of view. So I. We see success all across the board. I, I would say, and I think I said this in one of these yesterday, hungry is the biggest thing I look for. Yep, hungry, for sure. Because if you have uh, mentees that are hungry, it, everything else, so whether it's demographics, whether it's age, whether it's how long they've been in church, They're all of those things, get, they just go away. And to me, uh, I, I think it's helpful, and I've seen it. You know, We have some church like, oh, we're going to pick like, ages 35 through 45 with kids. And that's fine. But you know what? There would be something unique about me and Cam being in the same group because I'd be like, man, it would be phenomenal to hear a different perspective. And it would be, I'm sure, great for him to say, hey, I've been in a group with a guy with two kids down the road. It would be great to hear some of that. So I think being able to have a mixture, I think, is great. If you like to pick by demographics, I think it's helpful. But I, I, I feel like exposure to, to different to me, I think, is... It's a great thing. Hey. Hi, 
How do you open the box? Like when I went through a really bad time 15 years ago, someone kindly said, you know, why don't you try going to this church? Mm. They have this program on Friday night. Mm. So I went to that and yeah, I was going through that. And so now I'm, you know, not, now I'm at another church because I moved. And, you know, I'm at the point where I don't want to go to another Bible study. Mm. I don't want to go to another, they call them journey groups, that do book studies. Mm -hmm. Because I see people in those groups who are hurting. Mm. And I want, I want to, but so how, how do you advertise it at your church? How yeah. do you, how do you, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of. Evolution of that question about selection yeah. and kind of things like that. So, how do you advertise for specific? We have a guy um, who comes to a lot of things that we do. Who literally he tells himself when he's selecting his mentees, "I want young dads with kids." Okay. And when he chooses his mentees and he's asking the church for those people, he's like, "I want young dads with kids," and he disciples young dads with kids. And he chooses everything in the curriculum. I don't know why we hate that word so much, but because it's not the point, but it's the train tracks for everything that we talk about. He chooses everything for young dads with kids. So, and this is where the selection process is really important, is if, if you have a certain pain point that you want to minister to, I would go to my church or go to a church if your church doesn't support it. Right. And say, hey, I want to minister and support this group, whether it be widows, uh, whether it be um, uh, single moms or anything like that, whatever that or your story really connects with. And just I will be honest about it. Like, I want to support and love and journey through life with this group of people. Okay. Um, yeah, that's what I would do. Yeah. And I, and I would say it's. Um, it is trying to get the the right people because anytime things are mass advertised, it, it just doesn't work. This, yeah. you know, we would say this way of life is really kind of a shoulder tap. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. so I, I would say getting those right people, getting those right names, I would say. How do you go from someone sharing a prayer request, you know, in a Bible study, <laughs> well, to real help? It may be slow. Yeah. That, that, that's where I would say we, we work with a lot of churches and I'm just like, hey, you're not there. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you just need to get people together around tables yeah. and, and yeah. discuss this is not the right time for this. And so yeah. that, that's where really, I, I would never rush into this. I would no. say, hey, if you feel like you've got people that are ready for this way of life, then great. Mm -hmm. uh, but if not, yeah, for some, it, it may be a process of just letting them get to know each other mm -hmm. and, and doing life together and not have, yeah. not forcing anything. So like making barbecue, not microwaving popcorn. Mm -hmm. okay. Low and slow. <laughs> so one of the tools that we've used to break the ice, especially with guys, is um, like story cards. Mm. And they're just pictures of random stuff. <laughs> I mean, just random. A it. spider web, a, a, you know, a, a railroad crossing. And then just say... Choose a card that says where you are right now, you know, or I've done, I'm, I just hand out a card and I'm going to, you know, pray over it mm -hmm. and whatever that is, what is God telling you that it's, that's going on in your life? It could be a box of crayons, mm -hmm. all red crayons on one brain, you know, just mm -hmm. things like that. And that's been a great 
way, especially for guys, to go, you know what? I feel like I'm an odd person out. Mm. I feel like I don't fit in. <laughs> you know, just things like that. So there's a lot of creative yeah. ways to help people kind of break those things. I just think it's funny that guys are like pictures. That one. That yeah. is where I'm at right now. Yeah. I feel like spider web. We laugh because we talk about our emotions earlier and how we're not good with them. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true. Yeah. Um, I think, Ty, if you have a yeah. question, yeah. is he good? Cool. Yeah. Come on. So this sounds um, from it that this is something a little bit more than just a small group. And so we would say that too. Would you, would you guys, since you guys, Talk a lot of churches. Mm -hmm. if, if you were in a church, mm -hmm. what would be your engagement pathway for someone from a first-time attendee to their next steps to being shoulder tapped? Oh, that's a great question. So what is the pathway between walking into a church, new believer, to being shoulder tapped? We you know what church I'm about to talk about. We have a church that kind of does this almost like a college course hierarchy, whereas um, community, say community group is 101. Bible study is 201. Uh, this would be 301. Like, radical mentoring would be 301 because when you get here, you've shown that you're really engaged in your church. You're committed to the church, and they use radical mentoring as leadership development to pour leaders into the church. So when they get here, they're like, oh, you're trying to really, really be here and serve and love and engage the church. So that's how they do it. And from those other pools, they shoulder tap people like the leadership is kind of watching who's really engaged and serving already, and they'll shoulder tap them from from those pools and invite them into it. And our church, yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of one way of doing it. Um, there's, I mean, there's multiple different pathways. I mean, some guys they do different groups. One is for like new people who just got into the church, so they can get engaged and get involved. Um, some of them do it just for like elder development, leadership. It just kind of depends on what your needs are, and that's kind of what our job is. We figure out. What are you trying to do? Because a lot of times we're like, we honestly have an idea, but we really don't have any clarity. Yeah. So we kind of help people find clarity and then give them the tools to kind of make that vision happen. Cool. Are they always gender specific? Yes, because we have radical mentoring, which is for men, and then we have no collective, which is the same kind of tools, but geared and verbalized and created specifically for, for women's ministry. Then we have RM for business, which is which is uh, not gender specific, but it's for the business world, whereas it's business leaders talking amongst themselves about Christ in the workplace. Great job, Cameron and Trey. You guys are fantastic. Um, if you have any other questions, please come up. They'll have time afterwards and to, to be able to chat with you and to discuss any questions you have. So thanks so much for being here. Have a great day. Hey everybody, I just wanted to chime in here and encourage you one more time before you move on to the next episode. Will you join me in opening up your life with someone else? It's the best thing for you, for your relationship with God and with everybody around you, and you will be blown away by how much you will help another person just simply by sharing your experiences. I agree with the Radical Mentoring guys, it's very hard to really disciple someone when you're not willing to open up about your life experiences. So be brave, be bold, and open up, and let God turn those scars into badges of honor. As you watch God bring some healing to somebody through the painful experiences you've had to walk down ahead of them. 
Thanks so much for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned. There's another Radical Mentoring episode coming up next. Have a great day. Thank you.